John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 490.2S1519, certificate number 36749, the Foreign Legion. Has there ever been a time in your life where you planned or even just fantasized about just walking away and starting over. Like, I don't know what that means. Just getting on a Greyhound bus or just walking out your front door and throwing a lit match behind you. Or Do you mean, has there been a time this morning between the time I woke up at 10 <laughs> and now? How many times this 10, morning 20? before your coffee came out? No, that's been a major feature in my life and identity ever since I was a teenager. Imagining that I would be, that I would either leave everything behind or have a lengthy prison term. That's a, it amounts to the same thing, yeah. right? Or be forced into the bush to fight for my survival. Like that bush out front? Like one of the rhododendrons? No, the bush. The, uh, yeah, the, the camellia bush outside. <laughs> no, that bush, was, the camellia is not going to hold me and all my gear. No, in Alaska, you know, we, we call the country the bush. You're, you're like Australians of the north. That's right. Okay. I mean, it's, you know, the, this thread throughout history of being challenged by, being personally challenged by being forced to leave everything behind. Right. It plays a large role in my cosmology. You feel like it's, it's some kind of racial memory of, because of, here's, here's what I'm thinking. It's not much of an option anymore. Like uh, 500 years ago, 200 years ago or whatever, people could go to sea. Right. Or they could go to, you know, some unexplored land. They could, you know, they could go west. They could go to Australia. They could go to the gold fields of wherever there were gold fields or the diamond mines of wherever there were diamond mines. Join the army. Even in the 20th century, you know, you had still had people just thinking they could go to solve their problems by going to California or Hawaii or Alaska. I guess you were already in Alaska. And you, uh, you came pre-evacuated. Uh, well, and I, I've always contended that the progeny of the West you know, we descend from the people that couldn't hack it back east <laughs> and split, right? And I mean, my people have been in Seattle since the 1880s because they, for whatever reason, were driven out of Kentucky. These are people that couldn't split, that couldn't hack it multiple times, right? Yeah, right. Couldn't hack Europe, split to New England. Uh -huh. Couldn't hack New England, went through the Cumberland Gap. Right. Couldn't hack Ohio, you know, headed for Colorado. That's exactly right. It just keeps, so it's like when the... You're sitting in your elementary school class and the counselor or the principal or whoever comes by and pulls out the four kids that have to go to their special class. Yeah. It's like that keeps happening over and over. Well, and, my, and we are their descendants. My mom couldn't stay in Ohio, went to Seattle, met my dad, and neither of them could hack it in Seattle and went to Alaska. <laughs> right? And it's not and, like... And then you're out of options. Yeah. It's not like you, you leave because you're a failure. It's you leave because you, you're looking for something that the town doesn't provide. So I ended up back in Seattle. I'm kind of a, a backslider. I needed more electricity. So Alaska is like the movie alley with the chain link fence at the end yeah. where, where the character is suddenly like, oh, 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 oh no. Well, and you can head deeper into Alaska. I mean, there are places always in more Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, there <laughs> is. Isn't that the, it's, it says on the license plate. <laughs> but that's the McCandless issue, right? I mean, he's a kid that right. ended up going 
too far out into Alaska. So there are still under, there are, is still undiscovered country, but it's surrounded by discovered country. And you're right. Today, a lot of this impulse turns into urban backsliding. Like, you know, this is not working for me. So Portland or Austin, it is, right? right. Like, I'm going to get some chickens. That's people's magical solution. Because yeah. it is kind of magical thinking that there's something wrong with my life now. I can't fix me but I can certainly fix my surroundings easier. I just need a bus ticket. It is. I mean, it's like Rambo. You get this feeling, this romantic feeling that you're going to go to, I mean, in his case, end up being a junior administrator in some... Where'd he go? North Africa? Where'd Rambo go? He did all the, he hit all the high spots and he ended up just stamping passports somewhere. And... I never saw the movie, but yeah. <laughs> it was a book before it was a movie. But yeah, I, and so I've done this, right? I mean, I walked from Amsterdam to Istanbul by myself in the late 90s in an attempt to connect, in an attempt to activate that racial memory you're talking about. I was trying to get to a place where I could discover what it was like to be a Magyar or a, a Celt who, you know, someone who came over from beyond the Volga and felt that there was something in that rhythmic plodding of the feet, the lack of connection to any one place, the watching the sun come up in the morning and go down at night that I, that I hoped would be an antidote to, yeah. to modernity and to softness. A lot of our getaway plans today have to be time travel backwards yeah. instead of looking outward. And I wonder if that's kind of why this feels like such a, maybe it's just an illusion, but you know how to, you know, our modernity to us feels like some culminative time, some fin de siècle. Right, they always do. And that's why that's why we're doing this project for the future because we feel like but it, it does there is a sense that that's powered by a sense of exhaustion. We've exhausted geography. There's really no vast tracks left to explore until until the billionaires get us into space and maybe a sense of personal exhaustion like you know, we're not cut out for adventure and maybe there is no adventure because of because of technology or whatever it's done to us. Well, we were talking earlier today about this being somewhat an age of anxiety, an age of free-floating anxiety, right? I think there have been... Right. Well, at least uh, Auden's anxiety was caused by the Germans invading the Sudetenland, <laughs> which is a great reason to be anxious, sure. especially if you live in Czechoslovakia. The Cold War was a great period of anxiety, but it was pretty clear what we were anxious about. And now there's just anxiety thick on the ground, and there are a lot of people, I'm sure, listening in the future who have read their history books who are shouting, Trump, Trump, Trump. But Trump or is- climate a, change, climate change, climate right. change. Neither thing is adequate to explain the amount of anxiety we feel now. And you'll see in our culture, all these people that are spending $400 on a hatchet, right? Or the, the workwear fashion, the back to the landers, the- Getting the chicken, getting a beehive. Yeah, but they're not, but it's not, they're not actually doing the hippie thing of actually going and buying some land in central Oregon. They're trying to go back to the land in their urban apartment. Yeah, they're going back to the land after they get home from Amazon. Yeah, and they're they're trying to dress like somebody that worked on the in the boiler room of the USS Maine, but they're they're working in computers. So there's there's this constant desire to return to something that's essential. I think that's what people are looking for. What's essential? Right. Mary Kondo even is sure, yeah, exactly. an expression like what what's my Everyday carry. What's my go bag? Um, my whole life. If think how great it would be if my whole life was a go bag and yeah. I didn't have all these trappings that are clearly not making me happy because I'm very worried a lot and I have a lot of um, books. Therefore, I should have fewer books and be less worried. The whole premise of everyday carry, which is a movement, is that you would have on your possession enough to survive if it all went to hell right now. Like there are people right now, probably listening to this program, who are- Closing their fingers around the handle of their hatchet. Well, but they have, they carry fishing line in their wallet or in a little packet that they carry with them. Fishing line, um, little bracelets that can be untied and made into, that are made of parachute cord that you can use in a variety of ways. Little tiny gigaws that, are what, what on I'm, their person. What I like about these people is that they're probably in their 30s or 40s. They know they have never once used the fishing line they carry with sure. them, but they are undeterred. They've never caught a fish in their life. But <laughs> yeah, they have that line. And just in case, 
And I, it's part of the zombie, the zombie culture of people who get a lot of pleasure watching shows about, about civilization coming to an end and it's them against a faceless army of other. There's probably some causality thing that goes the other way too, where like, I'm very worried and unhappy in civilization as it is. So this is almost wish fulfillment that I can see it blown up. Like sure. modern society is not working for me. So what else you got? Have you ever read a survivalist magazine? <laughs> I mean, they uh, are, they can't uh, wait. I was in the men's room of a <laughs> diner in uh, Squim, Washington a couple of weekends ago. And they had a lot of like magazines I didn't know they made anymore, like Soldier of Fortune yeah. and stuff. I was like, wait, really? They still print these? But I mean, there are middle-aged people in who live in cities who have built their homes to be redoubts, you know, barricade. They, they have the ability to turn their home into a fortress. And they, I mean, at least dad is really excited about it. Probably the kids are, maybe that increases their anxiety that dad's always walking around checking to make sure the the pin is still in his anti-personnel minds. Well, there was a time when no matter how screwed up your life was or how worried you were about things or just unhappy in general, your escape plan could be your your go bag. It could be kind of outward and forward and not not just in an illusion sense that you would tell yourself, but you really could strike out into the unknown. Literally join the French Foreign Legion. Literally. Like today, what could today you can you could start a podcast, basically. Things aren't <laughs> things aren't great in my life. <sighs> what if I what if I start a podcast? What if I got a Hitler haircut, bought a, a six hundred dollar axe? And started a podcast <laughs> about simple living. But for a long time, the French Foreign Legion was kind of the proverbial plan B, you know, like <laughs> if things go really bad. Oh, plan X. Yeah, exactly. I mean, right. no, nobody ever really did it. I mean, some people must have done it as their first backup, but it really is like many, many things have to go wrong in my life, but there will always be as a backstop, the French Foreign Legion. Who will take anyone who can make it. Famously, that was that was the image. Um, and the interesting thing about the French Foreign Legion is right there in the name. It's a French, it's a part of the French army, but it's made up of non-French. Is there a word for people who are not French? Oui, oui. Non-French. What's the word for who are not French? Non-Français. Customer service oriented? I think in the 80s, it, they would have been called un-French. Yes, extremely yeah. un-French. Faux-French, I guess. But wait, is that true to join the French Foreign Legion it is a requirement that you not be French? Uh, even to this day, I think, to enlist into the French Foreign Legion, you have to say you're not French. And everybody winks at all these washed up French people who are claiming to be Belgians or Swiss or, Can or French Canadian. Oh, they just show up bedraggled at the front door and they're like, I am Canadian. I am not French, despite <laughs> my outrageous accent. <laughs> I'm from Belgique. I think that's exactly what happens. Wow. And, you know, these people, uh, they often rise through the, like a lot of the officer corps is French. And I assume it's some of these people rising through the ranks. Um, because but, it, but the enlisted men, I think to this day have to be non-French and that's, and that's how it started as well. So part of the deal of joining the French foreign legion was that it made you French, right? If you joined the legion and whatever fought in a war, then you could become a French citizen. It's not automatic, but yeah, there's about 200 naturalizations a year from the French foreign legion. Wow. Um, and we can, we can get to that, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's not unusual or at least it wasn't unusual. Today it would be very unusual if there was some, imagine if there was some detachment of the Marines or whatever that was all Argentines or Samoan guys <laughs> uh -huh. or Inuits or something, you know, we would be like, well, uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're not really American. But it is true in the U.S. Armed Forces. Well, I don't know why I pronounced it that way. U.S. Armed <laughs> the Forces. The U.S. Armed Forces. I'm uh, eating some French toast. You can join the, the U.S. Army as a foreign national and it is a path to citizenship. It's just uh, m maybe not, it's not a thing where we have whole regiments that are, everyone is from outside the United States. I remember when I was growing up as a kid in South Korea, kids could get out of their, Korean kids could get out of their mandatory military service by joining up to be um, some kind of special detachment or whatever that was a liaison between the, the Korean army, the rock army, and the eighth army, the U.S. troops stationed in oh. Korea. So you could be a Katusa, which was some kind of, Korean attached to U.S. Army or something like that. Uh -huh. um, and so there were these whole detachments of Korean guys who were just basically ducking their <laughs> military service. <laughs> and that's a lot of what happens in the French Foreign Legion today, honestly, is people who were um, kind of washed out of whatever in their lives, but in some cases, their own country's military. 
And this probably happened back in the day as well. I mean, we don't think about, you know, when you think about the American Revolution. Which I do all the time. Which I know you're thinking about right now because yes. you're, you're a good patriot. Yes, I am. Like sometimes you get this distant look in your eye and uh -huh. I, can, I can hear the fife and drum. <laughs> I could just see Lexington and Concord reflected. Uh, like, because we, we tell stories about Lafayette and von well, Steuben, right, the, Kosciusko. There were all these Poles and Germans and French Well, and the advisors. Hessians, they're fighting us. Right, and, so, and these evil German mercenaries that had been dragged in. Uh, were we paying our guys? Like we always talk about how, how our foreign soldiers are heroic, <laughs> but the Hessian mercenaries, I mean, I assume we were paying our foreigners too, right? Well, yeah, except, you know, the foreigners fighting for us. I mean, the French were gleefully fighting the British in the United States. They weren't fighting for us. They were just fighting against the British. <laughs> fighting the British, right? <laughs> we they don't were, care about your revolution. Yeah, they were looking for any opportunity to to put a chink in the British army. But this was very common in 18th and 19th century armies that you would fill out the ranks with detachments of whoever you could hire. Right. So, you know, if the Swedes are fighting the great Northern war against Russia or whoever, they get a regiment of Poles. It's often Poles, I think, because maybe they don't have a country of their own. There, so are, a often. Of, there are a lot of Poles and they're, uh, they're often confined the, just to the area around Warsaw. We don't have an army right now. Can we join yours? Well, uh, like, and the Hessians too, famous. I mean, they didn't just fight in the Revolutionary War. They were mercenaries for hire in any war you had. Yeah, a lot of the Napoleonic Wars. You right. know, there were whole German legions fighting Napoleon and filling out the British ranks. Um, Garibaldi, when he's uniting Italy, he formed an international brigade. And he was actually going to use these guys to go take out the Pope. Yeah, he had this idea that like, I really can't unify Italy as long as there's this little king in his little hat sitting yeah, in the middle of Rome. That'll make you popular. Which is reasonable. So. <laughs> Kill the Pope. That's what Italians are always talking. They're always sitting around their gabagool and their whatever. And they're like, yeah, we should kill the Pope. When you think about the 19th century though, there were, I mean, it was such an era, an era of transition. Yeah, like all anything's these, possible. Yeah, all these modernists <laughs> who are like, you know what? It's like, it's like Kennedy's moonshot. It's like, we... We kill the Pope and do the other hard things by the end of this decade. Like, what if we just killed the Pope? <laughs> Your Kennedy impression is great. Think how different history would be. If, Why don't you like, do that more? Yeah, we, we need to do more Cold War shows so I can do my... Uh, well, sure. I mean, you know, that Marx is saying even more radical things than... Not just kill, kill the, Pope, the Pope, but kill all the Popes. Yeah, kill the Popes. And I guess maybe Garibaldi thought that you could, you could, an international brigade gives you some, uh, yeah. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of distance yeah. and uh, who knows what these guys are going to do. Plausible deniability. Like the British still have these Nepalese Gurkhas with like swirly curved <laughs> knives in their belts. Like, you know, that'll, that'll make you um, be a law abiding citizen in the territories and you see those guys coming at you. For sure. And uh, to this, uh, for a long time, the French Foreign Legion could not fight in France. They were a, a colonial force, as we shall see. But right into the 20th century, um... Israel creating a, a, a detachment called the Mahal of just kind of world, uh, you know, Jews from all over the world who had come to Israel to fight in the Arab Wars of the 40s. Um, white Rhodesia just paying any awful person who wanted to go fight for White Rhodesia. I mean, uh, when I was... Speaking of Soldier of Fortune magazine. <laughs> when I was young, we, uh, we gobbled up uh, Soldier of Fortune and um, magazines of that ilk and the Rhodesian War... <laughs> <laughs> was this your, that was your plan to be as a kid? I want to go keep Rhodesia safe for the whites. <laughs> no, it was just fascinating because there were, so Rhodesia became Zimbabwe in 79. That's a, yeah, right around 780. I started reading Soldier Fortune magazine in 8081. Oh. Um, and so all of the veterans very urgent. of the Rhodesian conflict were the guys in these magazines with dramatic scars and they all had <laughs> super light blonde hair and hawk noses and they looked just like the most, oh, they were so fundamentally evil looking. It was probably a dangerous time because now suddenly you got a surplus of thousands of these guys running around. Yeah. What are they doing? Well, they're, are, are they all turning into Hans Gruber's in, uh, in Nakatoni Plaza? Yeah, there were lots of terrible things to get into in the, in the early 80s internationally. I mentioned that the British Army still has their detachment of Nepalese Gurkhas left over from the Raj, you know, right. back when they had their, all the Gurkhas you could eat. Um, and it's led to a tricky situation diplomatically many times because, you know, if Britain wants to deploy these troops, like, it happened in the Falklands, for example, like Britain wanted to deploy these Nepalese Gurkhas in the Falklands and the prime minister, you know, everybody, the, 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 they don't have a state department. What are they, what do you call their uh, white chapel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know why they called white chapel <laughs> and Jack the Ripper was there. <laughs> they called, uh, uh, 
Wait, what do you call the State Department over there? The uh, uh, the Foggy Bottom. The, no, the, that's the, what we call the, it here. <laughs> diplomatic uh, Division, the MI3. Anyway, uh, who was told, you know, you cannot be bringing these foreign nationals. It's going to escalate the Argentine conflict. You know, Nepal's neutral in this. You it's can't, the foreign... The, the foreign, foreign office. office. There we go. Foreign office. I just had to think of a of a nervous John Le Carre character <laughs> being uh, angry about. You just need to hear the jockey. word "foreign," which is a big part of this whole episode. This is the difference between the French and the British. The French have a legion. Yeah. The British have an office. They do. <laughs> they, have, they have tea breaks. <laughs> they don't have a legion. Um, so, so, for, so, oh, what were you saying about the Gurkhas? Oh, just that it would, would have been a diplomatic nightmare to deploy them anywhere because, you know, Nepal, you know, Britain is not obviously not neutral in the Falklands, but maybe in the UN, Nepal is. Right. And so Nep the government of Nepal can't have 500 Nepalese guys suddenly running around the Falklands and the same could be true for Iraq or Afghanistan or, or wherever Britain wants to put this detachment. So it can lead to weird kind of diplomatic things today. Nepal has had seven Marxist revolutions in the last four years. So you think they're not overly concerned about, <laughs> about what their overseas dagger-wielding no. assassins are up to? It's Go funny. with God. It's funny when you, I mean, we in the United States don't have a clear idea of what the Nepalese are like, but they are big fighting people. I mean, it's a, the, the Gurkhas were I mean, scary. We talked about Sherpas that have been up and down Everest 22 times. I mean, yeah. these are the superheroes. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout so france had been paying foreign soldiers for centuries even before the foreign legion was founded in 1831 Germans, Swiss, Irish, Italians, Scots, basically uh, anybody for whom things were not going well at home, this is something to do. Like during the French Revolution, like fully a third of the troops were not French. Interesting. And I assume that's because a lot of the troops were not super loyal to the monarchy during the revolution and just bailed. Right. But so they needed to fill the ranks with somebody. But yeah, that, like a huge chunk of the French army has not been French for centuries. This may be hard for futurelings to grasp. Well, just um, the idea that we're in a time when there's every country has big standing armies may be hard for them. To well, grab. or that there are even countries. Right. Um, but imagine how you feel about the reef next door. Yeah. That's eating all the algae. Think about that's how if, we feel about think, Iran. Think about every, if every reef in your ocean planet, uh, had a different group of crabs that all had different uniforms on that fought one another. Think how angry you would be when you saw a crab with a different uniform. That crab's not wearing our uniform. Get him. But very hard for people to recall a time when France was the center of world culture. Like France really mattered. France was where you went if you were going to get educated. France was the, in, in a lot of ways, but between Paris and London, those were the two fonts of all Western society. So going to France wasn't as strange sounding as it would be now. Today, it just seems like there's a random location. Yep. But you're absolutely right. France was the most popular destination for soldiers looking for a gig. During the time of Louis XIV, he was thought to be, you know, he's for the troops. He doesn't kneel during the anthem. <laughs> you know, he, you know, Louis XIV loved the troops. So a lot of people would, you know, leave their own lame German or Bohemian king or whatever and go fight in Louis's army. And then, of course, after the revolution, even more so, like now France is the future, right? right. Like all these young idealists, I don't want to fight for old, you know, uh, uh, the two Sicilies or wherever I live. Like 
France, man. It's just like going to New York or LA today, I guess. Well, sure. It was before 1848, China, really. right? And <clears throat> France was the first nation to overthrow its monarchy, really. And that happened later on in the 19th century. And almost all of those monarchical depositions. Yes. De uh, de deposals? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think deposition, right? Because when we say deposition, we're... Well, that'll be interesting for the future links to argue about. Is it deposing a witness the same as deposing a, uh, a, a king? Uh, a king? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, but all of those were inspired by the French Revolution. Again, that's hard for us to look back and recall that at the time there were kings on the thrones of every other major European nation and France was... Are you trying to pass the buck and not blame the American Revolution for the French Revolution? Well, because the American Revolution didn't depose a king. That's true. It just... It's a, col it's a colonial... <laughs> affair. It just pushed the, yeah, the administration out. Who cares what they're doing over there? But I mean, the French kings were among the most powerful and wealthiest kings in all of time. But all these starry-eyed young European kids looking to, to France and the revolution, I mean, imagine, it's almost like they're feeling patriotic about a foreign country, yeah, like the was. sense of pride they have in what the French are doing, and I'm going to go and, and, and fight for them. The people. But the, you know, the French Foreign Legion was not formed until after the revolution. Um, in 1831, you know, the Bourbons had, had regained the throne after the revolution, but right. in 1831, the Anziem regime was tossed out by Louis Philippe and uh, he had to purge the military. So suddenly there's a... There are all these old uh, revanchist generals and so forth. Who were loyal to Charles X and suddenly they need soldiers. And even more, uh, Louis Philippe had inherited a real... Um, Rat's nest. What's a more French way to say that? A real horse soup. Nest a du, <laughs> du weasel. Uh, because Charles X, in a last-ditch attempt to keep power by stoking patriotic fervor, had invaded Algeria. Yes. Something that would certainly not come back to annoy France for the next <laughs> century and a half. <laughs> um, so they needed all these men to occupy Algeria, a place that nobody really wanted to be, but, you know, Charles X had kind of cunningly waved his hands and said, look over here, Woo, there's a war with the Bay in Africa. Uh, so the four, Louis the Philippe formed the, Louis the Philippe? Louis the Philippe. As I call him. <laughs> you know, a lot of his teammates just called him the Philippe. The Leapy. The Leapster. Uh, the Leapster uh, organized a formal legion where you had to be an overseas, a foreign national and uh, sent them all to Algeria and then to every terrible place in the world. Because obviously no French soldier wanted to be in the Algerian desert. Right, although it was another example. I mean, that's the colonial enterprise. The Algeria seemed like it was um, your fortune could be made. You could um, escape the pressure of your mom looking down, looking over your shoulder, and go down to Algeria and and uh, and I don't know. <laughs> is, that what, is that where they? Is that where they went? Like their mom kept like telling them to clean their rooms. What drove colonialism was yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff you're talking about. Teens who did not want to clean the, under their beds. Adventure and money. And a lot of the legends that sprang up around the foreign legion really do put a very uh, you know romantic face on these awful colonialist enterprises. You know, you got these these desert forts and these beautiful empty dunes and date palms at oases and, and veil clad women with, yeah. with dusky eyes. And, and it's all, it all comes back to harems. A lot of Orientalism just comes back to harems. It sure and does. a lot of these sexually repressed guys who not only their mom won't get out of the room, but they can't get a girlfriend, <laughs> but they hear that in Algeria, it's, it's like surf city. It's two girls for every boy. Look, uh, yeah. Everyone here, every, all future links have read Edward Said because <laughs> it was, it became... But before Edward Said taught us how to think about this, the, the way most people, the lens most people saw the French Foreign Legion through was a uh, beau geste, which is right. not, I don't even know if it's in print in our time. So it's certainly, I doubt, is remembered in the future. But it's an adventure novel by this kind of mysterious Englishman named Percival Christopher Wren. So little is known about this guy that we know he had a first wife and don't know who she is. <laughs> even, her, even her kids don't know. His description of the French Foreign Legion is very colorful and full of detail and, and, and romance and, uh, and incident, uh, which has led many people to assume that during this five-year lacuna in his army career, he served in the French Foreign Legion. But it's also possible that he was just knocking around Africa, talking to legionnaires in the bar or in the casbah or whatever. So, but a lot of these people, um, a lot of people got their view of the Foreign Legion from Bojest and its several sequels and his other Foreign Legion novels that he wrote trying to recapture the myth. 
It's about, we don't remember it today, but it's about a guy named Bo Jest. Uh-huh. He's, uh... <laughs> Which is hard to believe. <laughs> Bo Jest means what? Grand gesture or something. The yeah. beautiful act yeah, or yeah, something. beautiful act. And I did not know until recently that it's actually about a guy named Bo Jest, which means to me that PC Ren is not a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> this is a thing I do a lot when my kids are watching, like we'll be watching, uh, I'll be watching Homeland and Claire Daniels will come in and I'll be like, Hey, that's Carrie Homeland. You know, I'll pretend <laughs> that the name of the show, it's a hilarious thing. My family oh, loves you're me to do. such a dad. Like my daughter, if my daughter's watching a, t- a princess movie, I'll be like, Hey, it's princess tangled. <laughs> she got out of her tower. <laughs> dad, her name's not princess tangled. I keep telling you her name's Rapunzel. Dad. But in this case, it's actually true. Bo Jest is about a dude named Bo Jest who, uh, you know, he and his brothers get involved in some family inheritance squabble. They're unjustly accused of a jewel theft, and they have to go, again, what do you do when you run away, and this time you go to the foreign If I had a dollar for every time I was unjustly accused of a jewel theft. You should have run away to North Africa. (laughs) Well, I've said that many times. You stood and faced the music, and what happened? Like, what what were the... uh, did you actually get to keep any of the jewels? Look, the statute of limitations has expired on most of my jewel thieves. Is your, thievery. Is your good ingot uh, doorstop uh, from one of these early heists? I was looking for that the other day. I couldn't find it. Oh, it's and, it's misplaced. Well, I don't know. Maybe someone has stolen your did, ingot did, and run away to, to North Africa. Did someone come perpetrate a jewel heist on me? <laughs> anyway, the Foreign Legion uh, gets deployed to any place awful around the world that French soldiers are loath to go. So starting in North Africa, but then there's war with Spain. They go to the Crimea. Sure. There's war with Italy. They go to um, Mexico. Yep. Um, French intervened in Mexico to there. This, to this day, we celebrate, uh, when I say we, I mean proud Latinx <laughs> people like myself celebrate Cinco de Mayo. Yep. Not not white guys getting drunk, no. No. Um, but the Rasa, we remember, uh, it's actually, it's a defeat, I believe, to the French at the Battle of Puebla. It's a pretty small holiday in Mexico, Mexico until recent it times. Does not, <laughs> it hardly exists in Mexico, but. It's like celebrating the Battle of uh, Baltimore. But boy, suburban bars with Margarita Monday, yeah. love it. Mexico is actually where the Foreign Legion has its great, maybe its its high point. Hmm. At the Battle of Camarón, a very small group of legionnaires makes a heroic stand against a, a vastly larger Mexican force. And uh, the officer in charge, uh, one Capitan Jean d'Anjou, extracts a vow over uh, wine. Wine is very big to the Foreign Legion. Yes. O- over that, that, um, that they will not never surrender. And so they're finally down to five guys and they charge out with fixed bayonets. And the Mexican troops are just so dazzled by this uh, heroism that they... Um, well, I Capitulate? Guess they, yeah, <laughs> they surrender. <laughs> they hand over the keys and to they, Mexico. And they now speak French <laughs> in Mexico. No, that they uh, they let them live. Oh. But I guess now that I think about it, those five guys surrendered. So... <clears throat> yeah, too right. Ba- too bad, Capitan. I mean, they let Jean you live Danjou. until you're 150 yards away from, from your readout, and then they stop you and take your guns. <laughs> Jean Danjou is still the iconic name in the... French Foreign Legion. I don't know if we have, do each of the armed services have like one guy? Yeah. G.I. Joe. (laughs) But a real guy. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Joe. Like it would be as if like everybody in the army still talked about Sergeant York so much. Right, right, right. Like um, Jean Danjou apparently had a a prosthetic hand of his own devising. Yes. He's like Luke Skywalker. Come on. That he had carved after a musket uh, incident while he was mapping something in Morocco. Well, Um, but you can join the French Foreign Legion, correct me if I'm wrong, which I know you will do. It's one of your one of your favorite jobs. It's one of my delightful quirks. But you can join the Foreign Legion under a pseudonym, can't you? Don't, yes. Can't you be like Monsieur X? Until 2010, it was required. What? That you would join under a pseudonym. You had a nom de guerre? Yes, you had to. Uh, and you could take, the funny thing, well, so you have to choose a name. I think it would traditionally start with the first letter of your correct name. Right. And your nationality would be correct, unless, again, you're covering up your, your Frenchness. Right. But after a year you could take your old name back. It was just a way to equalize among recruits, I guess, those who really had something to hide <laughs> from those who did not. So there really is some, um, you're starting a new life. You're baptized anew as a legionnaire. What would your French foreign legion name Does it have to start with J? No, uh, your name doesn't start with J. Well, what my would... last name does. Oh, I, I think oh, I, I think it's your surname. Like, you're, <clears throat> you're in the army. Roderick! Yeah, right. Roderick! Right. You're in the army now. Um, so three, I think I would be... Roderick. Uh, Roderick. <laughs> Uh, so you would choose a three-syllable name starting with an R. Oh, is that, uh, it's a syllabic I don't know. similarity? I don't know. No, I'm asking you, what would your French Foreign Legion name? My name would be Jazzmaster J. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> no. Jazzmaster J. 
Uh, yeah, actually. Jazzmaster J. It has to start with J. Jazzmaster J. Yeah, I wonder if it has to be a plausible name, or if you could be like at, I would be at Ellis Island, being like, uh, my name is uh, Oliver Closeoff. <laughs> Your name's Oliver Closeoff? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am uh, Dr. Rosenpenis. No, I... <laughs> Dr. Rosenrosen. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they just let, would let you get away with that in the Foreign Legion. They're a, they're a, a ragtag, oh, uh, rough-and-tumble bunch. I bet they have a great sense of humor. No, I think you'd have to be something like Jenkins or Jeremiah or Jedediah. All those are names in your family, I'm sure. Jambalaya. Did you have Jedediah? I bet you had a Jedediah in your family. I am family. nearly certain. <laughs> I've told you before, my most famous Mormon ancestor is named Zebedee, which, yeah. is, which is not a name we have anymore. Why wouldn't your French Foreign Legion name be Zebedee? It has to start with a J. I don't know. Okay. If you I, said I'm Zebedee. Okay, I'd be private Zebedee. I've decided. Oh, that's so good. Uh, Jean Donjou apparently was an officer who used, and used his real name, mm-hmm. um, but he had you know whittled this prosthetic hand for himself. And after he died in the battle, the hand was carried back lovingly and placed in the the Legionnaires Museum in Aubagne, France. And to this day, every day on, uh, what is it? April 30th, I guess, the anniversary of the Battle of Cameroon, one lucky Legionnaire gets to carry the hand of Jean Danjou aloft in the parade on a little, you know, velvet pillow or whatever. Whoa. So, you know, these guys are very connected to their romantic globetrotting past. Yeah, I guess so. Well, that also has a lot of resonance with um, the Catholic uh, relic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But why, yeah, and, and maybe that explains why he wasn't buried with his artificial limb. Because, you know, at some point somebody was like, we could bury him with his hand or just without one. Yeah. That could be religious fervor as well. You know, in the resurrection, of course, he will not need this lame wooden hand. Yeah, right. So maybe there's some of that at play. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Let's keep the wooden hand. Let's you, put it in a case. Have you ever seen Santa Ana's leg, by the way? Speaking of Mexican prosthetics? No, I have never. I guess it's in some military museum in like the Midwest somewhere, like in Springfield, Illinois, somebody brought back Santa Ana's leg from what we call the Mexican-American War, what they call gringo invasion number one or whatever. And they just took it back and it's sitting in Illinois or something. Really? And I would imagine Mexico wants it back. Illinois? You don't think of Springfield, Illinois is where you go to see um, (laughs) Mexican, 19th century Mexican artifacts? (laughs) No. Uh, I've been to some, I've been to many churches in Europe that have relics, various hands and hearts and noses and so forth. In Florence, there's a, I know it extends to secular stuff because in, in Florence, you can see Galileo's middle finger, which is in the case extended, I guess, to the Pope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if I, yeah. if I remember right. Well, and here in the house, I've probably got six or seven different shards of the true cross. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, as eBay? I'm, I'm a little bit of a collector. Yeah. <laughs> Is it Craigslist? You go to some guy's garage and he's like, well, I got these shards of the true cross. Oh, also I have, what, where is it? It's right around here. It's the Ark of the Covenant. Does it spark joy? That's right. If, <laughs> like if the Ark is just sparking Nazi faces and it's not sparking joy, you got to toss it. No, no, it sparks joy. I mean, I only open it when, uh. When you, you need know, to melt some Nazis. When I need to melt a, a is foreign like, invader. Or if you're defro- defrosting like a Hot Pocket, you're like, this is going to take so long. I forgot to put this in the fridge. And you just, just open, open it the up, arc. T- toss it in. It's immediately, uh, the cheese is uh, melted. Uh, God, if you're listening, just playing. <laughs> super, super fun. We're just having fun here. So all these overseas assignments for the French Foreign Legion in the 19th century uh, after they came back from Mexico. In the 1870s, they were actually deployed to try to lift the siege of Paris during the Franco-Prussian War. So that kind of opens the Ark of the Covenant on... Um, on having, on the having the, domestic... Yeah, foreign Legion interfering in domestic affairs. I guess they've gotten over the bad look. And throughout the 20th century, just wherever there were people needing a job, there was the French Foreign Legion. When World War I broke out and the Alsace and Lorraine, which we have still not put in the omnibus, but you know when that was disputed with Germany... The Foreign Legion was where a lot of Alsatians wound up so they could fight for the friends even if they were not citizens. Right. And after World War II, a lot of Germans, you know, it was not a good time to have been in the German army. It was a really bad time to be a German in general. So a lot of these guys from the Wehrmacht or whatever were like, uh, I was not a Nazi and uh, I am actually from Canada and will join the Foreign Legion. I can imagine that the the, uh, the French officers were thrilled to recruit all these. these. I assume intel- the French intelligence did kind of go through and see, you know, are there any of these guys that should be standing trial in Nuremberg instead of standing on a fort in 
Oran. Right. But I'm sure a lot of a lot of the rank and file became German soldiers who well, were yeah. out of a job. And it's, you know, it's an unfortunate thing. We don't like to look at French collaboration too closely. But there were some shared. I, I kind of do. There were some shared. It's one goals of my favorite things between the the French uh, colonial enterprise and what had formerly been the German global project. Yeah, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Like <laughs> we we still got some brown people for you to fight down here. That's right. If, if you're into that, um, there was after uh, the communism fell in the 80s and 90s. Suddenly, the Foreign Legion is full of. Eastern Bloc types, mm-hmm. Poles and Slovaks and Bulgarians Poles again. and Russians. Looking, it's always the looking Poles. for a home. <laughs> the world is just full of Polish soldiers, you know, with a little cardboard sign saying, we'll bayonet for food. <laughs> and more recently, it's become the developing world. You know, right. it's, it's people in Latin America or Central Asia looking for an out. And they're still, 180 years later or whatever it is, the French Foreign Legion to be their plan B. Now, uh, the experience, it's not easy to be in the Foreign Legion. All the stuff about how fugitives and criminals and ne'er-do-wells, all those legends were true to a degree in the 19th century. You really could get away from criminal charges. So, you know, it was full of murderers and rapists, I'm sure. And the officer corps was probably not super stoked. Today, Interpol will do background checks on you if you want to join the French Foreign Legion. And if you've done serious crimes, you will not be in the French Foreign Legion for so many reasons. Is that true, though? Well, it's still kind of a backstop for people who are awful, but not... Um, currently wanted. Not currently wanted <laughs> in, in six states. Like, it's a lot of people who washed out of their own armies. You know, if right. you if you were uh, failed too many drug tests or if you hit an MP, um, you know, Bo Bergdahl, the guy who mm. deserted in Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. He was, I guess he had joined the Coast Guard. He was drummed out of the Coast Guard for insubordination. But, uh-huh. but before that, he had actually attempted to join the Foreign Legion. And he he tried and failed? Yeah, or he, I, I think he washed out. Because there's there's a couple, they can reject you, but they also, they have a washout rate of like uh, nine people for every one. The, tra- right? the training is insane, yes. When, when I describe the training, you will see why, you know, there's only 9,000 people in the Foreign Legion today. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and I think 90% wash out during screening and and basic training. it's such a small organization. It's a little family. Does this make you want to join more now that you know you'll be joining such an elite fighting force? I've actually played concerts for more people than are in the entire French Foreign (laughs) Legion. (laughs) Have you ever played a concert for the entire French Foreign Legion? No, I wish though. Although, and we can get to this too, I have met Legionnaires. I want to I want to talk about modern legionnaires and your experience with them. Okay, um, we'll get there. Uh, when I say awful people, sometimes it's not a criminal charge. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of ex husbands trying to get out of alimony. Apparently. Oh sure. But imagine how awful your divorce must have been to think, you know, it'll solve my problems. The French Foreign Legion. Well, I mean, get hair implants for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like it's last chance you basically yeah. have you seen the show about the community the junior college that takes in all the these talented but awful football players that have slugged a coach or whatever from real programs I have not seen that it's all these guys who lost their scholarships at Penn State and now they're all at this elite junior college where they're all super good players and maybe not so great at adulting as we say uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so the foreign legion has kind of become last chance you for males of all types because you do have to be male yeah, um, right, okay. You have to be a man. There's, There's been one woman in Legionnaire history, an English uh, an English woman named Susan Travers. She was an ambulance driver in World War II and turned out to be such an able, you know, able landmine avoider and everything else that she actually fought for the Free French and was later, when she retired, she was an officer in, huh. the, in the Foreign Legion. But otherwise they are excluded. Ex- explicitly excluded. And there's always a bunch of political movements in France to say... We're going to have this many women in the Foreign Legion by this such and such a date. And it just never happens because of institutional resistance and sexism. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. 
Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n dot com slash start can i ask if this is not part of the regular friendship are you gonna ask if they're all male where do new baby legionnaires come from Mm, no i have a sense (laughs) of where they come from a stork no i'm going to ask how closely is the Legion overseen by the French military and how much is it truly an independent organization? Culturally, I get the sense that it's very independent. I mean, it does have an all French officer corps, but you know, you know, just from looking at the US military, like how a chain of command does not mean that the Marines are super marine you know? Right. And the culture of the Foreign Legion is certainly all its own. It's, it's a, uh, it's very alcohol-based, for example. Uh-huh. Like the legionnaires have, have their own, this is kind of their historical legacy. They have their own vineyard in Provence. And so there's legion-made wine that everybody drinks. You'll just get force-fed pints of whiskey all throughout Castel, which is the, their, what's, what they call their regimental basic training. It's a Christmas morning tradition, pint of whiskey. Um, you're always drinking helmets full of beer. Basically, you need to keep the edge off because, yeah. because training is so brutal. You're going to get sent to the jungles of Guyana or the deserts of uh, Djibouti. And basically, people are routinely just getting punched and kicked and their teeth are knocked out. And they have rules, of course. The French army is saying, but you cannot punch a recruit. (sighs) So they'll be, so, so, you know, it'll be some awful colonel saying, okay, put your hand up in front of your face and then he'll punch you through your hand. So it's basically, (laughs) why are you hitting yourself as a form of basic training? Oh, I love the French Foreign Legion. They're such bullies. They figured it out. They found a workaround. Good hazing. You'll have to, you know, just do push-ups on your knuckles till they're bloody. You'll have to, um, you know, stand in the sun until you've collected a glass full of sweat. And then you can bring the sweat to your, to the Sarge and and show. Wasn't that one of the scenes in the movie Seven? Oh, is that true? Is that, is that one of the sins? No. Dehydration. The seventh seventh sin, sweating. (laughs) And of course, there's this huge culture of marching, even more so (laughs) than any army, from their North African hike from fort to fort days, which, you know, we we always romanticize from Bojest and Snoopy and, do you like the comic strip Croc? The hilarious 20th century foreign legion newspaper comic. Do you, uh, do you not know Croc? Well, of course I know Croc. The, the you Sunday just have too comics, much to say about Croc. Sun, I was stunned by how much I have to say about Croc. We should do a whole entry about Croc. Maybe. I haven't seen Croc in the paper lately. Does Croc exist? Well, it was... Did Croc wander into the desert and die? certainly a feature of our 70s and 80s childhood. Is there a guy named Croc? I'm not clear. I don't remember either. But, but, you know, but they had that distinctive Foreign Legion hat. They had the white kepi. And, of course, Snoopy does that sometimes. But, you know, lately Snoopy just sticks to the Red Baron persona. Well, lately Snoopy hasn't really done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles Schultz died in 2000 or whatever. Right, but when I was a kid, right, that Foreign Legion look and feel still had real resonance. You're reminding me. It was baked into the culture because there were five movies of Beaujest. Right. There's, I looked up to see if there were songs about Foreign Legions. I guarantee there's a Stephen Merritt song about the Foreign Legion. Yeah. And I'm not sure there is, but there is one about, there is one by the Decemberists. You'll be shocked to hear. There's a song called Legionnaire's Lament on Castaways and Cuts. Of course there is. (laughs) In fact, I'm not sure, but maybe I appear on that song. It's You're hard for me sure. to. Re- it's hard for me to remember all. Do you of feel it. like you count as a legionnaire <laughs> if you are uh, singing harmonies on uh, a song about them? I, you know, maybe I'm an honorary legionnaire. <laughs> they. Uh, I'm still waiting to hear back if I'm a Kentucky colonel or not. Uh, yeah, maybe in the meantime, maybe tell them you're a legionnaire and see if that convinces anyone hmm. in the bluegrass state. So, because of their culture of marching, they still will do to get your white helmet. You have to do a forty-kilometer march with a forty-kilogram pack. And I'm too lazy to to do the math there, but what is that? Twenty five miles with a hundred pounds on your back? Yeah. So you know, that's it's, not that hard it's, actually. It's doable. Yeah. But they just love to march. I think they they have their uh, the Legionnaires' unofficial motto is "Marche ou crève." Oh, like, marche ou crève. Like march or 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 
expire, march or die, right. basically. Those are the, your two choices. Well, and speaking as someone who has read a lot of Soldier of Fortune magazines from the early 80s and still, you know, keeps one eye on special forces culture. Just in case? Uh, just, you in know. In case I like, the phone rings one night? I like to know all the details. Uh, I don't think I'm going to ever be recruited by the special forces, but when the Central Intelligence Agency needs my services, I'm going to have to interact with special forces people? Sure. Anyway. They're, they're a blunt instrument that you will use. Yeah. The sense among special forces people, my sense is, is that the Foreign Legion, although very capable as a force, spends a lot of its time and energy on some of these archaic. Like on being legionnaires? Well, and like marching and hazing and this real top-down kind of um, culture of the organization rather than on actually being good at tactics and warfare and so forth. So special forces people don't consider the French Foreign Legion to be in the class of a special forces. They're not elite. No, they're just weird. Like that, that kind of matches everything I've read. Yeah. You know, when you read about the hazing and the, well, and just think about the logistical problems of putting all these people together for, it's 140 countries today are represented wow. in the foreign legion. So they don't you, all speak French, I'm guessing. Well, to pass basic training, you, you, you will get, you know, punished. You will get pushups or KP or whatever if you are heard speaking your native language. And they used to divide by, you know, back in the 19th century, they would divide by nationality. There'd be a Swedish regiment and a, a Polish one and an Irish one or whatever. But today they're all mixed up. And if it's really discouraged from forming little language mafias, like if you're, you don't speak French, uh, English, you cannot pass basic training without speaking 400 words of French. Hmm. So that's the level of mastery <laughs> that's required, <laughs> which is really, isn't that, that's like junior high French. That's Oué la Bibliothèque kind of French. 400 words? I mean, I bet I speak 400 words of French. What are the main words of any military unit? Yeah, it's just got to be halt and attention yeah. and forward. Oh, I read somewhere that one of the things that the French Foreign Legion was great at as a result of this very thing is the kind of military sort of hand signals. Oh, really? Where when they're because, on a secret mission. Because they have to. Nobody speaks the language. Yeah. So they're really good at, at communicating with each other over distance by, you know, being like, over there, there are two guys and they are. Do they do the thing where they point at both their eyes with two fingers? Yeah, I bet And they then do. point in a direction with their palm? I'm sure oh, they man. do that. And I'm sure they can say I all kinds of things. Yeah. So they're good at that stuff. Apparently, it's not a bad life. It's uh, the pay at first is a... Uh, a thousand fifteen hundred euro a month, which you know, considering all your, you know, you're getting a, a what a cot and four hots. Yeah. You know, what, what is the thing? Uh, a, a cot and three hot. What are they? Three, three hots and a cot. Three hots and a cot. Yeah. I mean, all your room and board is taken care of. But you're so. also getting a helmet full of beer every once in a while. <laughs> right. You so get you, whiskey on Christmas and, and more if you're deployed overseas. You know, often these guys will have to spend three months in Chad or Molly doing awful bureaucratic administrative stuff. Right. Um, Three months in Chad is actually a great title for an autobiography. I thought you were going to say a porno. <laughs> oh, oh, three nights in Chad. You know, that, well, that three, type of thing. It might, was three months. So. <laughs> three months. <laughs> that, that might, that kind of humor might fly on Jeopardy, Ken, but this is an adult program. This is a, this is a podcast. And you get a shiny new rifle. And as you were saying before, it can be a path to citizenship. Yeah. You can get either your citizenship or apply for citizenship or 10-year residency in France after a mere three years of service. And that's what 80% of, of uh, the legionnaires do. Um, Which is funny because what it really is, is applying for citizenship in Europe. Right. You're not, you're not then held to France. You could emigrate to anywhere. 80, it's 80% of legionnaires eventually do this and become essentially EU huh. citizens. And if you're wounded as a legionnaire, that's immediate citizenship. It's called Francais par la sang versé, French by virtue of your spilled blood. Oh, wow. Um, because French have always had this kind of meritocratic approach to Frenchness. You know, they, they would give honorary citizenships to Washington or Jefferson because clearly their souls are French. They have the ideals of the... But... Um, <laughs> you just sounded like my dad. They have the ideals of the... <laughs> that's, how I that's how I pronounce Rousseau. <laughs> I say that his name is Jean-Jacques... <laughs> and do you remember last year that... Um, Molly and Spider-Man guy. Do you remember this? There was a kid hanging from a balcony in Paris and some West African, this guy from Molly, I think like pretty freshly off the boat is like, you know, he climbs four stories like Spider-Man and grabs the kid. Oh, I the, didn't see that. And the next day, like it's all over YouTube and Macron gives the guy citizenship because clearly this guy has the spirit of uh, the, the Francais. 
So what about your Legionnaire experiences? So I was, uh, I went on a, basically it wasn't USO. It was the army entertainment office. The AEO. Uh, I forget what it was. You're exactly like the called. Bob Hope of the AEO. Uh, hey folks, this is John singing long winter songs. Hey there. Uh, and then I swung my golf club <laughs> and Joey Heatherton came out. So, uh, a friend of mine or, or rather a, actually a podcast listener of one of my other shows also was a Lieutenant Colonel in the air force who was a drone pilot, mm. combat veteran, and he was charged with opening and managing various drone bases in Africa on behalf of the U S air force, which were not widely publicized because we don't, because, <laughs> because Africans would be delighted. I'm sure when we don't have a, we don't have like, there's no air force base in Africa. Uh, but there are, and they are these little drone bases. And is it, so, is it just like a couple tents somewhere? No, they're they end up being in coordination with other governments. Um, but I see. There's there's a lot you can't say here. What, what you end up with is there's an airport that already exists, and the air force goes in and takes kind of one side of it or one quarter of it and builds a little base. And they are tents and shipping containers. I mean, they're they are Kwanzaa huts. Uh, Love a good Quonset hut. If there are Quonset huts that were already there, but the Air Force doesn't build Quonset huts anymore. Not like they used to. Half of Alaska was Quonset huts when I was a kid. I used to go to church in a Quonset hut with stained glass windows in South Korea See? on the army base. Quonset huts. They were great. I don't know why we, well, because tents are cheaper. Anyway, so we went on a little tour where we played for the troops in Niger and Ethiopia and aforementioned Djibouti. Um, we went to Burkina I've Faso. I've never been to aforementioned Djibouti. Aforementioned Djibouti. Remember was... during the revolution when it split into the Republic of Djibouti <laughs> and aforementioned Djibouti? Well, and aforementioned Djibouti was a great teen dance club here in Seattle did you, in the 1980s. Did you play Shake Djibouti? <laughs> shake, Shake, Did you get shake, to meet Djibouti? the Shake of Djibouti? We did not, no. We, uh, and Djibouti right now is under a pretty repressive government. A, a repressive shake. But there is a huge Navy base yes. in Djibouti. And China has built one next door. That's right. Did you know about and this? And China is building railroads in East Africa like Huckle D. Buck. China is going to be the major power. That's going to be West China, basically. China will yeah. end at the Nile River. But the, for instance, the, um, the Navy base there in Djibouti has an incredible foreign component. There are Japanese army there, there's French, there's special forces of, of every stripe. Mm -hmm. But in Niger, we played at a little base outside of Naimi, and the base was home to this Air Force group, but also some special forces. You know, and special forces people, you can tell like, them. Like U.S. special forces yeah. people? Or? You can tell them from a mile away because they have beards and they're all chewing tobacco. <laughs> and they have uh, baseball caps that look like they're covered with chewing tobacco. You, they, you look like the Boston Red Sox, basically. Like You're allowed right. to look like the Red Sox if you took out bin Laden. But there was also a contingent of French Foreign Legion soldiers and French commandos at this base. Because this was during that period, and it's ongoing... So Boko Haram was in Nigeria yeah. and all those um, Islamic uh, groups in Mali and they were all kind of contending for this area in northeastern Niger that's sort of just hard to govern. Mm -hmm. And so all these groups were milling around, all these people with fascinating mustaches in camouflage dungarees who had – you know, like faraway looks in their eyes. It is the modern day version of just being in the Casbah from some 30s movie, right? And we're, we were effectively like playing. So we they set up a stage for us and shown a bunch of like anti-aircraft searchlights on us. Were people delighted? Do they not get a lot of entertainment? They there, don't get any entertainment. And I don't know if delighted. Not that that's the only reason people be delighted by your music, John. <laughs> Were these people delighted because they had never seen another musician? I think, I'm sure they would enjoy it anyway. I think they just liked that people were there to entertain them. And I, I, got I, like, and, I like when company comes over. Yeah. Played a full set of songs to, a, you know, maybe like not rapturous applause, but certainly like fun. And the French guys, the French soldiers were all drinking, whereas the American out soldiers their, were not. House. It was rowdy. It was, um, I mean, it felt like, um, I mean, Naimi is a huge city and we weren't that far out of it, 
but it was far enough away that it felt like we were in the in the bush. There were giraffes around. I mean, it was like pretty which is, interesting. Which is not typical at one of your shows, right? I've I've, been, I've seen you play, and I've never seen the giraffe. No, it's not. A giraffe at your show really reduces the number of tickets you can sell, and so it's not advantageous to the band. It's like the one, the the mom in the back who's had too many wines and is standing up when no one else wants to stand up. <laughs> yeah. Woo! That's, that's what it's like sitting behind a giraffe at a rock show. <laughs> anyway, it was, they definitely had a, a, a very different vibe, a strong vibe. The, even the U.S. Special Forces guys who are covered in chew spit, they still feel pretty disciplined, fairly disciplined. And the French guys felt very rogue by comparison. Oh, you know, they nice. just, they kind of sat with their feet up on the desk. They just had a little bit more. They're the original bad boys. Yeah. They, they had some je ne sais quoi. They had some. They had some back alimony, probably. Some they had some unpaid alimony. They did, right? They got out of wherever they were from. And that concludes the Foreign Legion. Entry 490.2S1519, certificate number 36749, in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, you... It's probably drone-based, right? ...should avoid it at all costs. The Air Force is just flying emails directly to you in drones. I'm imagining, and this might be a little black mirror... But I'm imagining a world in which social media is cordoned so that not everyone can join the Twitter or Facebook of the Futurelings time. But it becomes... Like, like it's chronologically cordoned? Or, no, oh. it's like hierarchically cordoned. Oh, it's like uh, it's like having a, a sky lounge at an airport. Yeah. So I think probably lots and lots of Silicon Valley disruptors are even now probably trying to popularize their social media that is somewhat exclusive. You have to apply. You have, you have to pay to, 120 bucks a year. Yeah. And I, and a, a friend of mine got me an account on some uh, dating site that was only for right. professional, professional hot ladies and the professional dudes that hot ladies and not hot guys with, with tech jobs, tons, tons of money. Yeah. And I spent a few days on there. No offense. No, 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 it's quite all right. <laughs> I don't have either thing looks or money. Uh, spent a few days on there and just felt like, oh, this is just as bad as anywhere. And the exclusivity, the quote unquote ex exclusivity of it is both fake and also attracts the worst elements, right? The exclusivity is fake because you can't make the price enough to actually keep out uh, the riffraff? No, the exclusivity is fake because people trying to popularize the app <laughs> right. want they, as they many need, people as they can. They need thousands of users. Right. And so when it, when they discover that every rich person in the world didn't immediately join their site, they just start lowering the standards. Like, But while maintaining the premise, like, oh, you're lucky to be here. Invite five friends. You know, we'll have to vet them. They, they may have not to be get rich in. or hot. Yeah. But invite five friends. Like, oh, this is, the, you can smell the blood in the water. Uh, but yeah, I'm thinking futurelings will find that Maybe if they are excluded from all of the Delta Sky Lounge level of social media sites, that there's only one course left, which is to leave it all behind and join the French Foreign Legion. The French Foreign Legion of social media? Or, yeah. or literally the French Foreign Legion? Well, maybe either both. Maybe the French Foreign <laughs> Legion, maybe it will all happen in social media because so, it will social be Social media is a French Foreign Legion. You do have to, you you know, you essentially change your name. Right. <laughs> all, the, all the bad things you've done before do not follow you. And your you, alimony doesn't, doesn't work there. And you have to go to awful places and do awful things and until your knuckles bleed. Well, in the meantime, Ken and I are populists. We're, you know, American people. Men but, of the people. But we want everyone to have access to our social media hilarities. And so you can find us at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Our program is at Omnibus Project. I am on Instagram at John Roderick. So many great pictures over there of funny things and good you, laughs. Every bath you've ever taken. Lots and lots of food. I always take pictures of, I don't. I don't have a pet. You'll never see a single picture of my dog looking. Nary a sandwich or pug to offend the eye. Oh, all, the, all those pictures where people are like, 
taking pictures of their dog and they imagine their dog is looking at them with some kind of significant <laughs> intelligence behind their eyes. And then you just see the picture and you're like, yeah, it's a picture of a dog, bro. It's, there's nothing there for me. My dog has never done anything good enough to be on social media. You've never, <laughs> your dog. I'm waiting. Your poor little dumb dog. I'm sure. I have two dogs now. And one, if they do something cute, I'm ready. Sure. I'll post it. You're there. But they, they've just done average things. They're underachievers. They just sit and lick themselves. We recommend if that is, and futurelings, that may be a thing that you consider like basically a standard of joining society that you be able to sit and lick yourself. Yeah, it I, would, I don't mean to offend if no. that's, if that's how you, if that's your courtship ritual in your era. It would be hard for us to do in a seemly way. You may not be super aware of what our physiology right. is. If you tried to replace a business handshake with, um, you know, like, licking somebody like, else's hindquarters, logistically it's tough. Honestly, I've known you, Ken, for many years now. I have never seen you lick anything. Not a single thing. You put things in your mouth. Uh, but you've never seen me lick anything? I've never seen you lick a thing. Would you like to? No. <laughs> no, we're fine like this, right? <laughs> uh, you can email us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. We recommend that you join our Facebook group, the Omnibus Futurelings. Even if you have deleted Facebook, we recommend you reactivate your Facebook account because, as we all know, you cannot really delete your Facebook account. It's still there. All you have to do is go back and show even the slightest bit of interest and it will all repopulate instantly. It's like how you're always a drug addict. Yeah, right. You can't just go have a, a not, shot of, uh, of booze on, on New Year's Day. You can never be cured from Facebook. Yeah. It's still there. And even if, you, even if you shut it down and you feel virtuous about it, forget it. Go back just to join the future links because they are hilarious. And you can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. Certainly from our lack of French Foreign Legion-like options, it seems as if we are reaching some kind of end time. We hope and pray that no catastrophe will end our civilization, but if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.